What's going on, folks? Today is Monday, August 7th, and I'm Josh Boykin, founder of IntelliGame.us. You're listening to another edition of IntelliGame Radio. Hey folks, it is Monday, the beginning of the work week for many of us, and for many of us that comes with some mixed emotions. See, working is frequently what we do in order to sleep in warm places, or eat food on consistent basises, and perhaps be able to do things that we enjoy. Watch movies, spend time with friends, or play games. Sometimes our work conflicts with our drive to do the things that we care about. And I went through a situation like that a few years ago when I was working in IT. I was working for a healthcare company doing a job that really drove me up the wall. It was a, I spent a lot of time really depressed, really anxious, and with this constant feeling like I needed to get out and pursue my passion. I, <laughs> I, I've gone an interesting route since then. I've done more IT work. I have worked with nonprofits. I've kind of been all over the place. And now I'm working on IntelliGame, but also looking into doing some more consulting and some side work. For a while, I felt like I had to specialize. It felt like playing sort of an old school role-playing game. I had to pick my one class, and if I wasn't working towards leveling in the class or the experience that I wanted, if I wasn't working specifically in games or in writing, then I was wasting my time. I think what I failed to understand was that there are a lot of opportunities for crossover, places where experience in one realm ends up helping in another. For me, Having a lot of experience in project management has given me the opportunity to not only help create and lead groups in gaming spaces, but also did pay a lot of bills, right? And paying bills is really important when you want to do any of the things that we mentioned at the beginning of this segment. Anyway, I think about this sort of crossover between doing the things that we love and doing the things that we are not sure if we love, but maybe we need. Because I was listening to a segment by Medicine Remixed. They interviewed uh, Dr. Ko, who is a uh, doctor who is also a really prominent artist on Instagram. They did an interview that I want to go ahead and echo. Uh, again, for folks who are listening to this on Anchor, you'll be able to hear that uh, interview. For folks who are listening to this on the podcast, I'll try and sum up a couple of the points after the echo, but uh, I really encourage you to check this out and to check out Medicine Remix. They do some really fantastic work, and uh, yeah, this one's worth listening to. There's a lot to appreciate in that interview, but I particularly hone in on this idea that Dr. Ko brings up about us not using 
our entire focus in one space if we feel drawn to multiple spaces. Let's look at life as an RPG for a second. If we compare old-school role-playing games like Final Fantasy or early Dragon Quests to... Uh, if we take those early ones and compare them to later ones, we can see that there have been changes that make the games feel more palatable. Old-school RPGs may take you, give you a party of characters, and then restrict those characters' abilities. This character's a mage. This character's a warrior. This character's a rogue. And so there are things that only those characters can do. Now, we're more likely, particularly in Western RPGs, to have games that allow you to branch out, to pick a little bit from column A and a little bit from column B, and create characters that you feel more comfortable with. Final Fantasy XV, even as a JRPG, has take, borrowed heavily from Western RPG tropes. And in the most in Final Fantasy XV, you could develop your characters however you wanted to. Sure, there were things that individual party members were specifically good at, whether Prompto is taking photographs or uh, Ignis is cooking your dinner. But when it came down to developing what skills you wanted them to have access to, and particularly when you're playing as the main character, Noctis, who could use any type of weapon, it gives you the opportunity to feel like, oh, well, these are the things that I want to do, so now I'm more satisfied with this character as a whole. Mass Effect Andromeda took a similar approach, removing the sort of class system that came from Mass Effects 1 through 3, and instead allowing characters to just build the skills that they wanted to on their, uh, on their writer, their protagonist. I think that there's a lot of benefit to thinking about life in that approach and realizing that sometimes there are skills that we want to draw on. We may not want to draw on them forever or have it be the only thing that we do, but we can realize that those skills have value in spaces outside of what we originally had planned. The idea that we can have a skill that crosses over, that there are ways that learning about art can affect and improve your surgery. It's the same ways that I've felt about project management being able to affect my ability to go into journalism and keep track of a bunch of projects, or to be able to start gaming groups and get people organized and excited and run events. Having these places for crossover serves us as a benefit. And though we particularly talk in the indie gaming space about the uh, don't quit your day job idea, I think that there's a lot that the space has been able to gain from having people who aren't just game developers, but also bring in skills and experiences from coffee shop jobs or working in IT or any number of other backgrounds. Having that diversity of thought is really useful and it gives us an opportunity to share experiences in a way that's powerful. So I hope that people will be able to take their own experiences in their work weeks and apply them to the things that they're passionate about. Hopefully your work week is something that you're also passionate about, but if not, understand that there can still be value to taking those experiences and putting them into the things that you love.
Game of the Day 25 was yesterday. Now, it was a little different than I had planned. Yesterday was kind of a stressful day, and so at the end, I decided that I wanted to just relax, sit in bed, and play a handheld game. Of course, I couldn't find my PlayStation Vita charger before leaving Portland, so instead I brought a tablet. And on that tablet was a game that I haven't played in a while called Mage Gauntlet. It's an older, kind of Zelda-style RPG made particularly for mobile devices. And though there are some places where it feels like the, the dialogue and the story is a little bit cringy, uh, the action itself is still really well put together and the studio uh, that put it together is a pretty quality one. Anyway, what I realized as I was playing was that I was roaming around the world and again, it's a Zelda-style game, so there are plenty of bushes to chop apart and tables to break and pots to break to try and find new items. But when I encountered enemies, I didn't really want to kill them. I had my new sword and my trusty mage gauntlet powers already, but I just kind of ran away from them. I wanted to see how far I could get in the level without having to kill anything. Now, sure enough, I did get progress gated, where it said, okay, well, you have to eliminate these enemies so that I'll open the door and you can continue forward. There are other places where a enemy may be holding a key to open a gate, or those kinds of things. It's kind of a classic Zelda trope. But a part of me couldn't help but wonder if the time that I had spent playing Yonder and Tacoma and other games that have been non-violent have influenced my sort of gameplay style. The initial enemies in Mage Gauntlet aren't particularly aggressive. They're kind of just these little floating blobs with skulls in the middle. And they just kind of hop around in the grass minding their own business. So I didn't really feel any compulsion to kill them. Particularly, if we're honest, since there's no real benefit to it. They drop items, uh, but there's no consistent guaranteed benefit. There's no experience that's gained or things of that nature. I wonder if this is something that will continue to be a facet of my gameplay. Um, in situations where there's a direct reason and incentive for combat, like Fortnite, where you're being attacked by waves of zombies and the only way to progress and keep your base alive is to take out the zombies. I can understand being aggressive there. But I feel like I may end up spending more of my time playing games where there's no reason for aggression. I've gotten a lot out of playing Tetris lately, and I wouldn't be surprised if I found more puzzle games too. Anyway, I suppose we'll see what other games come down the pipe. If you have a game of the day, a game that you think is particularly exciting or one that gave you something to think about, use that call-in button here on Anchor. I'd love to hear about it. Hey folks, it is about time for the midday break, which means we are looking at our question of the day. How have your gameplay tactics changed in a game that you love and have been playing for a while? For instance, have you been playing World of Warcraft for years and realized that your strategy for building your hero has changed over time? Have you played a sports game 
that you realized you want to run a different offense or defense in. So I'm trying to sports ball. I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not always great at it. Anyway, tell me a little bit about a game that you've played and a way that your thought process or strategy in that game has changed over time. After the midday break, if we have any responses, I will go ahead and put those on the air. And then I'll also tell you a story about a game that I used to play that I not only changed my strategy in later in life, but came to the realization that my old strategy was completely wrong and mischaracterizing the game. Anyway, I hope you folks have a great rest of your day. Talk to you after the midday break. Hey folks, welcome back from the midday break. I'm your host, Josh Boykin. This is Intelligame Radio. You probably knew all those things already. I'm hanging out on a fire escape in San Francisco. I went to visit a friend of mine. Actually, I saw a couple of friends of mine today. Uh, one is a game developer who is working not too far off a of mission. And another one uh, is currently working for Pinterest which is pretty awesome. So it was cool to see both of them and see the fantastic work that they're doing. Um, I figure you are here to hear about the answer to the question of the day. So let's go ahead and play a call-in that we got from Sean over at The Way We Play about the way that his gameplay style has changed with JRPGs. I used to be a huge fan of JRPGs, and one of the big things I liked about it was the grinding process, the constantly doing battle against smaller foes, gaining experience, uh, investing a lot of time into these systems and learning how to take advantage of them to be more powerful, to, uh, to have the best strategy against specific enemies and things like that. And I think I'm realizing as I get older and I have more constraints on my time that I'm just not as interested in putting that kind of time into into these games anymore. So uh, if they have the option, which not too many do nowadays, but um, I'd set the difficulty down to easy just to, to get through it without as much grinding as possible. Otherwise, I just deal with the challenge of being underleveled, or I just skip the game altogether. Oh, JRPGs, aka Japanese-style RPGs, aka some of the largest time sucks that video games have to offer. Thanks for that call-in, Sean, and thanks for the work that you're doing over at The Way We Play. Personally, I think that there's a lot to admire in your ability to lower the difficulties of the JRPGs you're playing. I am a big Persona fan, and for some reason, playing a Persona game underneath the normal difficulty, it doesn't feel like the same game to me. But I think that there's something to realizing that your time is important. Your time needs to be respected. And also acknowledging that as you have more commitments that come onto your time, sometimes you have to adapt the way that you approach your gaming. So even though that may not be an in-game tactic, uh, it's a life tactic, and I think that it's very smart. I am sure that your family respects and appreciates those decisions, and I hope it's something that I'll be able to do at some point. Anyway, thanks for answering the question of the day. I think my answer of the day is just a little bit different, but uh, I, I think 
perhaps yours is more functional. So I hope everybody can take that as a tip and a life lesson. I used to play a card game called the Star Wars CCG, a Star Wars collectible card game. One player would play as the dark side and the other player would play as the light side. You would put together a deck of 60 cards that would come from booster packs and starter decks and whatnot. And you would set them down at different locations. The battlefield was created as you played. So you would put locations like Yavin 4 Rebel Base and the Death Star and whatever into your deck. And then you would watch the battlefield dynamically grow as you played. It was a really interesting game, and honestly, it was one of the most complex card games I've ever played. Uh, I took it on in elementary and middle school, and I was frankly never very good at it. The one tournament that I went to, I think I got dead last, and also, if I'm honest, I think I remember doing a lot of crying because I had not paid attention to a rule that made it so that I basically couldn't give any of the characters in my deck weapons, which meant we lost all the time. Just all the time. And I was so frustrated with myself for not knowing that rule. Uh, I wasn't sad because I lost, I was sad because I, was, I couldn't believe I made such a mistake. But the point of the story is that years later, probably just a couple of years ago, I came back to the game because I still have a bunch of the cards, as well as cards for a game called Wars, which was actually created by Decipher after they lost the creative license to Star Wars. They were like, well, we have this good rule set, we'll just make a new game with our own intellectual property. And unfortunately, that game bombed. But the point of the story is that when I played Star Wars back in elementary school, I thought it was all about setting up characters with weapons and getting into gunfights and killing the other characters, but that's not what the game was about at all. Each location gave a player an opportunity to drain the other player of force. And if you drain, if they run out of force, if they run out of cards in their deck, they'd lose the game. So really, Star Wars wasn't about getting into high shooting space battles, it was about territory control. Star Wars was more like a game of chess than a first-person shooter, and I never understood that until somehow, when I came back years later with more gaming experience and a better concept of how to analyze a, a game and its objectives. So now, in the very few opportunities that I get to play either Star Wars or Wars, I don't look at it as a combat game, I look at it as a territory control game, and that tactic has radically changed my ability to play the game so what what can you say i guess you live and you learn right one last response that we got in regards to our question of the day comes from aj vogel on the intelligame facebook page he says I recently dusted off my old Mage Knight figures and played a game with some friends a few weeks ago. I realized that my playstyle back then was all about ranged attacks and camping and putting the enemy in a play that they would have to initiate. Now I've found that my playstyle is more of the charge in and attack head on with complete disregard for my army. I like to think that it may be because I'm able to address conflict and face difficult situations better than I used to as a kid, 
but I might be taking things a bit seriously. Uh, thanks for that comment, AJ. I think that's a really interesting perspective. And by the way, uh, AJ and I actually used to play Mage Knight together, so that's that's pretty fun. And I can I can visualize that. I personally have noticed that my style has become much less charge in and attack. I tend to actually avoid conflict when I can, and when the situation demands it, uh, I tend to rain down fire from afar. But I think that it's interesting looking at playstyles as a sort of reflection of personality. I do feel that there's something to the idea of learning how to handle confrontation head-on. And I think that, personally, it's something that I could stand to be a little better at. But I also like being able to just kind of wait and see if there are any ways that we can walk away from the situation without conflict. And then if conflict does have to happen, or if I'm pushed to a certain limit, well then, yeah, I guess we'll go ahead and see it happen. But, uh, yeah, I think that's a, a really interesting perspective to, to bring in, AJ. Thanks for that call. One last call in before we shut down for the night from Simon, who is discussing the idea of passion versus money. Josh, a good afternoon to you. I hope you are well wherever you are. Just wanted to uh, call in and say uh, well done on your segment about uh, you know, the old work thing. I hear where you're coming from and it's great to hear you being open about it. Um, when I left the army I went into, into recruitment because I had to get a job or I believed I had to get a job. Didn't really like it but did well but was very ill at the time and ultimately ended up very, very, very ill. And it wasn't my passion, but something that I'm good at. I'm now trying to, or in the last couple of years, I've been doing things that I'm passionate about, things that make me smile, things that I can applaud myself, and have have stopped chasing the dream of A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. Uh, so it's, uh, it's a great subject which will affect many people. Thanks a lot for that call in, Simon. And of course, awesome work as usual over at Simon Says. It's difficult when we are naturally placed in the capitalist, uh, I don't know, conundrum of doing what we love or doing what we need to do to get paid and keep the lights on. Unfortunately, those ideas tend to run in contrasting spaces, and I can see how the service that you were doing, the work in military recruitment would feel a little rough, especially if it's something that you know you're good at, uh, but are not super thrilled about. I do think that it swings two ways, right? On one hand, doing what we care about and what we love is the ideal, and it's fantastic when we're able to do that. I've been able to work on Intelligame for the past year or so, in no small part, due to the time that I put in working as a project manager. And I didn't enjoy that time, but I enjoy this time. But at the same time, there is that idea that we don't always have the opportunity to make that choice. Sometimes when the chips are down, we have to choose money, because otherwise then we don't have the tools that we need to pursue our passions. And at that point, I think that the best opportunity is for us to try and figure out how can we make sure we're pursuing some of our passion 
at the same time as we're making sure we're keeping the lights on. In the game space, for many folks, that involves being a developer at night. Many people will work a day job and then moonlight working on the game project that they care about or doing writing or composing music. And hopefully one of those projects will then turn into something that can become full-time employment. Of course, it's difficult balancing those energies and those requirements and doing that kind of moonlighting can end up really burning you out. I'm not great at the energy management of it myself, but I'm hoping that it's a skill that I will be able to cultivate, particularly given a little bit of this project management experience. But I hope that you are continuing to pursue your passion, Simon, and that people are able to see the, the benefits of that work. Well, folks, uh, that is going to do it for Intelligame Radio tonight. I appreciate you sticking around. And as always, you can find me on Twitter at Wallstormer, and you can find Intelligame on Twitter or Facebook at Facebook or Twitter.com slash Let's Intelligame. Talk to you tomorrow.